morning. My name is Conrad Morse, and uh, I'm very privileged to serve here on the uh, Board of Elders. And today we'll be reading from the scriptures in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You may be seated. Morning. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you for your word again today. We thank you for the power of your spirit that gives us the opportunity to know and understand you through your word as well as be willing by your grace to confront the realities of our own heart. We pray this morning, God, that you would give us a willingness to say yes to what you have to us to recognize those places we need to uh, repent and those places where you intend to build us up. And God, we might, that we might become more like Jesus even today. In his name we pray. Amen. Did I say good morning already? I can't remember. Okay, well, you know, do that some more. Nowadays, it's funny, if you don't know how to do something, like you want to know how to, you want to, know how to you know, texture drywall or change oil on a vehicle or uh, make your lawn look like grass and not a weed patch. Like, so if, you're not, if you want to know how to do something, you go on the YouTube and you type in, how do I change oil on a car? And um, the best videos are the ones that say, don't, take it to some guy who knows what he's doing. That's what the... So really, but nowadays, you know, somebody said, well, I don't know how to do it. So, so, and you know they don't know how to do it when they've got their phone on the counter and then they're over here trying uh, to do it. Now, if you've done this before, you've watched YouTube videos to try and figure out how to do something never be before done, you realize the YouTube videos generally just make it a more complex way for you to do it wrong. You're still going to mess it up. It takes time and experience. There's a reason people actually go to school to learn how to do things, uh, not just simply look at YouTube. We want to know how to do things. So today we're going to learn some how-tos. How to miss Jesus, especially if he's standing right in front of you. We're going to look at how, how to miss Jesus, even if he's standing right in front of you. And we're going to look at the occasion of this question that Jesus is asked by this ruler. We learned from the account when it was shared through the book of Matthew that this man is described as a rich young ruler. So this is an individual who is wealthy, he has influence in his uh, community, and he is also young. How to miss Jesus. Every year 
it's noted that more and more people are climbing Mount Everest. I, I'm not, I have no desire uh, to climb uh, Mount Everest because it seems like it's, well, it's uphill almost the entire way. <laughs> so it's, that seems ridiculous. It's downhill on the way back if you have a way back, right. So here, one climber noted this. They're, they're encountering a problem with those ascending Mount Everest recently, and that is there has been an influx of incompetent climbers on Mount Everest, and it results in dangerous conditions because the timing, especially the day you're going to summit Mount Everest, the timing has to be very precise because you're, you're subject to the weather conditions, which can go from clear and sunny to dangerous in a matter of minutes. And the way inexperienced climbers create danger on the mountain is that they create bottlenecks, especially on the parts of the mountain that require advanced climbing skills. I mean, there's certain parts of the mountain where you're just walking up a snowy mountain, and really anybody can do that if you're in physical conditioning. But there are some parts of the mountain that require the actual ability to climb a mountain. And these beginners don't know how to do that quickly enough, and even experienced climbers waiting for inexperienced climbers to traverse across the complex section will find themselves exposed to dangerous weather conditions. So why are these inexperienced mountain climbers on Mount Everest? Because they have enough money to buy the uh, most important and uh, most skilled guide and to hire the best Sherpa and to get the best gear. But what they discover is the best gear and the best guide and the best Sherpa does not climb Mount Everest. That, that once you're there, you realize you're not good enough to safely climb Mount Everest. And the, and the reason these people create such dangerous conditions is they think they're set. They think they're okay. I have everything a person would need to walk up a mountain and back, and they don't realize they're not okay. They're not good to go. How to miss Jesus. The first thing to do if you want to miss Jesus, even if he's standing right in front of you, is think you're good enough already. Anyone who tries to impress God with their goodness will be found lacking. Anyone who tries to impress God with their goodness will be found lacking. Even the best, most pious, most religious, most goodiest of the two shoesiest will fall short of God's goodness. Now, the fancy theological word we use for goodness, of course, is righteousness. Anyone who tries to impress God, anyone who tries to impress God with their goodness will be found lacking even the most goodiest. Look at what happened to this ruler. The ruler came up to Jesus, and he's going to ask Jesus a question, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a legitimate question. This is a sincere question. We have no reason to believe that this guy was trying to trap Jesus. This is a guy who clearly is religious and wants to make sure that when his time comes to go from this life to the next, that's the nice way of saying dies, that he will be okay that he's going to go from here into an eternal life, which is blessed as his current life is. So he's asked, asking Jesus a, a question he has in his mind. He wants to make sure that from this life to the next, everything is okay. He, like everybody else during that time period, they naturally assumed there is a life after this one. And he wants to make sure that one continues to be blessed as his current life, life is. And so he asked Jesus, good teacher, Jesus immediately answers his question, and he completely misses it. See, Jesus doesn't answer his question later. He does a little bit more. He sort of adds to his answer. 
The answer to his question is in the words that immediately follow. Let me read what Jesus said. Conrad already read them. Let's read them again. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Answered the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered his question right then. It's already done. The conversation should be over. Jesus is just nice enough to try to help the guy a little bit because he seems a little dense. But here's what he says to this guy. First of, all, first of all, God alone is good. So he recognizes, and he wants this guy to recognize, though he obviously misses it. Jesus wants this guy to know, your flattery's going nowhere with me. Because that's what this guy is trying to do. Good teacher. He's trying to flatter the teacher. He wants Jesus to be positively disposed, to answer him favorably. And so because he wants a favorable answer from Jesus, he's seeking to flatter him by calling him good. Jesus is not able to be flattered. He, he wants the guy to think in clear theological terms, which is this. If I'm good and only God is good, what does that make me, Jesus is saying? God. So don't come at me with, I want a question to my answer. You've got a problem. You, your question you need to answer, rich young ruler, is who am I? And if you're going to call me good, don't do it for flattery. Do it for what is actually true. Jesus is God in the flesh. So one of the problems this guy immediately displays is he doesn't know who Jesus is. He thinks Jesus is another teacher that he can flatter with a big check that he can write with some fancy words, certainly this is another one of these religious teachers who is easily flattered by the rich and influential, and he can receive a compliment from somebody who knows people and is known by others in the community, so Jesus will certainly be thinking, oh, if I can get this guy in the fold, well, now I'm going to be able to fund my ministry. Jesus doesn't need to fund his ministry. And this guy doesn't recognize who he's talking to. So first problem is this guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He's God. And only God is good. Second thing he makes clear with this guy. If only God is good, what is this guy? This guy is either God. He's not. Okay, This guy is either God or he is not good. So Jesus has answered his question. I am God. You are not. You're not good. And this guy completely misses the point that Jesus is trying to make. God alone is good. God alone gives eternal life. Being good will not get you eternal life. Being good will not get you eternal life. There is nobody in heaven besides God himself who got there by being good. God alone is God, good, and God alone can grant good or grant eternal life to those he so chooses. What this guy needs is God, and he doesn't understand he's standing in front of him. What this guy needs is Jesus, but he wants to check some boxes on his religious to-do list. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witnesses, honor your father and mother. So Jesus gives a, a, a selection of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't give all of the Ten Commandments. Obviously, if you count, there's not, not ten. I'm not a math magician, but I know I said that wrong. I did it on purpose. But one thing you'll notice about the commandments he did list is all these commandments relate to people in the, he's in relationship with. These aren't the commandments that relate specifically with God. He did not list keep the Sabbath. He did not list don't use the Lord's name in vain. He did not list don't worship idols. 
all of the ones he did list are those which look toward how you relate with the people around you. Adultery, stealing, murder, false witness, honoring your father and mother, these are all commandments intended to express God's love and grace to the people we're in relationship with. And the, and the man's response is, is really interesting. All these I have kept since my youth. So his answer is, I'm good on all these. His answer is very, very specific. He says, all these I have kept since my youth. So his, his argument is, I have kept them since I was supposed to keep them. It was commonly held, especially during that time period, that a person before God was only held accountable for those things he's done after a certain point in his life. You have to be a certain age in order to be accountable to God for the things uh, that you have done wrong. And he's saying, all these things I have not done since that time in which it's expected I would keep them. Now, before those times, I was a murderous adulterer. I don't know what he did when he was a, a kid. But he's saying, once I was old enough to know better, I didn't. Which is really interesting. He's saying he's good. What's interesting about this is the Bible doesn't affirm this for anybody. The Bible says, in fact, the opposite in Psalm 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. I want to reference the Old Testament here because this guy would have, would have known this psalm. It's a psalm of David. It was a song that would have, was sung. It's a, a psalm, actually, you're probably relatively familiar with. Here's what it says in Psalm 14, 1, 2, and 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. You hear that verse too? The Lord looks down from heaven to the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. So God... Looking around the world, I wonder if there's anybody who's, who's seeking God. Here's what he finds in verse 3. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. There's what the Bible says about those who would claim to be good in the presence of God by their own behavior. And this guy should have understood and known this psalm. If you're going to stand and claim goodness, you should understand your Bible. And the Bible tells this guy, there's none who do good. There's none that seek after God. So contrary to his own scripture, he wants to rely on his own goodness to gain eternal life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rely on his own goodness to gain relationship with God, which will provide him entrance into eternal life on the day that he crosses over from this life to the next. All these I have kept from my youth, he says. Now we might ask ourselves, why is this guy asking these questions? Why did he come up to Jesus and say, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Why has this guy been keeping these, uh, these commandments since he was a youth? Why, why is he even bothered to ask this question? And I don't really know, but I'm going to hazard a guess. My guess is every now and then he has to go to sleep at night and he gets left with his own thoughts. Because you can claim goodness all day and all night. You can make sure everybody's convinced that you're awesome when it comes to being good. And you can make sure everybody around you can see how well-behaved you are and how kind you are and how faithful you are to your spouse and how you've managed to not murder anybody. Congratulations, I guess. 
you do, do your devotions this week? No, but <laughs> I killed no one. I didn't. You don't put that on the Instagram. Take a picture. I didn't murder anyone this week. I don't, nobody does that. Anyway, this guy does. Every now and then, though, he has to lay his head down at night when nobody's around and nobody can see and nobody can hear, and he didn't fall asleep right away, and he realizes when he looks inside his own heart, what do you think he sees? He sees what you see. You lie down, you lay, and you look into your own heart, and you say, if they knew what I was like, they wouldn't want me around. If they knew what I was thinking, if they knew the designs I had in my head, if they knew my attitude that I was masking over because I've learned as I've gotten older to be well-behaved, if they knew what I really thought of them, they wouldn't even want to talk to me anymore. And those thoughts hit you when you're trying to sleep at night, and we don't like those thoughts, so we fill our days with distractions, and we don't go to bed until we're exhausted, so that way when we hit the pillow, we go right out, hopefully. So we don't have to be bothered with any of these, I know I'm not okay kinds of thoughts. And I think that's what was bothering this guy. He could check all the religious boxes, and he could do all the good stuff, and everybody else was fooled, but he knew when he went to bed at night, he wasn't okay. And he wanted Jesus to answer that question for him. He keeps the act alive, though, and says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus' response, one thing you still lack. Stop there just for a minute. How do you know if you're having a bad day? You know you're having a bad day when, see, you guys don't know how the, how the shtick works, okay? How do you know if you're having a bad day? You know you're having a bad day when you stand before the Lord, God, and claim that you're good enough to get into heaven, and he says, one thing you still lack. That's a bad day. It's bad when you have claimed to be good, and the, the Lord of the universe says you're not. That's, that's a really bad day. Now, fortunately for this guy, he didn't know he was talking to God, or he should have known. But this guy stands before God, claims goodness, and Jesus says, you're not good. And then he takes him on a journey to help him see he's not good. Sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor, poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. The point here isn't that this guy should sell his stuff and have a vow of poverty to earn God's favor and earn righteousness. What Jesus was trying to help him see was you're missing God because you're trusting something else. You're missing who I am and you're missing what God is up to because something else really has your devotion and really has your trust. And in this case, for this guy... It was his stuff. Because notice Jesus didn't merely say, sell your stuff and give it away. How does he end that phrase? Come and follow me. Jesus is saying, stop trusting your stuff and trust me. Stop trusting your goodness to give your life and, and stop trusting your stuff to keep you alive. And instead, trust me to give you goodness and trust me to give you life. Jesus says this guy still lacks goodness because he's not trusting God to make him good. Then this guy reveals his heart. 
when he heard these things, he became very, what? Sad. Isn't that crazy? What did the guy want from Jesus? Eternal life. What did Jesus offer him? Eternal life. Why did the guy leave sad? He didn't want eternal life. He wanted stuff. And he wanted to be able to sleep at night and feel good about himself. And Jesus is not playing that game. He's not playing. This guy went away sad because he was rich. The problem wasn't his wealth. The problem is what he trusted. And he trusted his wealth. He didn't need, he didn't need God. How do you miss Jesus? Think you're good enough already. And this guy felt like he was good enough, but what was going on in his heart revealed he wasn't good enough at all. Jesus wanted the ruler to get rid of that which was keeping him from trusting God. The ruler was trusting his money, and without it, the hope would be he would then put his trust in God for his life as well as his spiritual well-being. And this guy didn't want to do it. He didn't want to trust God that much. Before we get to the second part, I think it's fair for us each to ask this question. I'm not going to ask you to sell everything. You wouldn't listen to me anyway. I know what you're like. But this is the fair question we should take from the ruler. What in our own lives keeps us from trusting God? So we, we can look at what's going on in our own life, and those things could be sins, those things could be distractions, those things could be priorities, those things, it's, it, I know I need to trust God, and I know what trusting God looks like in my own life for my day-to-day living as well as for my eternal destiny, and what is it in my life that gets in the way of me trusting God, and Jesus is simply saying, you're going to want to get rid of that, because if it's in the way of trusting God, you're choosing the lesser thing. And that's what he's communicating to this ruler. Trusting something other than God for our well-being will always end in disappointment. How to miss Jesus. Think you're good enough already. The ruler made two errors, really, though, and we're going to look at the second error next. The first error is he thinks he has a lot to offer God. The first error is he thinks he has a lot to offer God. He's a good guy. He follows the commandments. He's religious. So he has a lot to offer God in the religion department. So that's his first error. But the second error is sort of like it. It's this. He doesn't think God has a lot to offer him that's that great. He feels like he has a lot to offer God, and what God is selling isn't that great. So God has something to offer, but it's not as good as what he already has. He's got a good life. He's got lots of money, and God's offering what? Eternal life? Righteousness? Well, those things are great, but at the end of the day, you've got to pay your bills. How to miss Jesus. First, we said, think you're good enough already. Second is this. Think you don't need anything from God. That's how to miss Jesus, is to think you don't need anything from God. Self-reliance. This is a, a big-time value in our culture in Southern Oregon. Maybe you're not from Southern Oregon. Maybe you've moved here from California. We accept you and receive you. If Jesus can receive us by grace... We can receive you by grace. That's terrible. In Southern Oregon, and what does this look like in Southern Oregon? It's this notion of be responsible. Handle your business. Take care of yourself. It's each person needs to handle their own thing, and, and it's your job to handle you. 
You're the one in job of your house. You're the one in job in charge of your protection. You're the one in charge of your food. And this is, this is in, in many ways a really, really good value. It demonstrates in one sense this made in the image of God when God made creation and he told us have dominion over it. He told us to take initiative to, a, to work in creation for the glory of God. So there's one sense, the dignity of humankind is saying, how do I take personal responsibility for what's going on in my life? However, there's another side of this which is arrogant, and it's this. If you need nothing, you don't need Jesus. If you're in need of nothing, you are then you're also not in need of Jesus. And that's where this young ruler found himself. How, how, how do you miss Jesus? You, you think you don't need anything from God. A major obstacle to trusting Jesus is mistakenly thinking God doesn't really offer us anything that we would need or, or want. It's a self-deception. It says, I, I have enough even without God. And it, it becomes sort of this silly notion, I've got a really good life and what I want is a little bit of God on the side to, to sort of make everything okay. But my life is the way I want it. Let's read verses 24 through 30. Follow along with me, if you will. Jesus, seeing that the ruler had become sad, said this, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, this is Jesus, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus replied to Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. In order to find eternal life in God, in order to be saved, we must see that we need God to save us. We need, that we, we need to, to see that we cannot, on our own, meet the need of our goodness and meet the need of, that our sin has caused, and we have to see that only God can do that. The only way that a person can go from unrighteous to righteous is for Jesus to grant to that person his righteousness. How can Jesus do that? This is how it's done. It's very, very simple. Jesus comes in as, a, as a man, and he dies on the cross, paying for the sin of all who will trust him. So Jesus dies on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. Then Jesus is raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death in one fell swoop. Victory. So Jesus has provided the means by which we receive righteousness. It's we say to him... I trust you to give me forgiveness because you took my punishment. And so then a transfer occurs in a sense. By faith, we trust him, and our sin is credited to Jesus, which he paid for. Jesus' righteousness is then credited to us by faith. We're made righteous, as righteous as Jesus. That's pretty righteous. Then, since Jesus is raised to life, having been in Christ and received his righteousness, we also participate in his resurrection to life after we die. All we have to do is see 
that the only way to receive righteousness in life is to receive them from Jesus. But we have to see and understand that need. The problem with this rich young ruler is, with all of his wealth, he didn't sense and understand his need. He didn't see that he needed anything. His wealth had, had masked over that need so that he didn't see that he had a need, and so therefore he wasn't pursuing it because it, it, it missed it. So when Jesus called him to liquidate his assets and rid of them, all he was trying to get him to do was remove his blinders so he could see his need. So Jesus illustrates the difficulty of seeing this need with this impossible task that has become famous. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that sounds bizarre. I have never tried to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle. I would assume that would be messy. I don't. I think it would also ruin your needle. I have no idea. And so people have come up with all kinds of silly notions on how this could possibly be the case. And, and so they say, well, he was actually talking about a really small camel on a really large needle. And it was a, actually an architectural construct that, that camels would walk through. And so actually this was a co- something that could be accomplished. No, no, no. I think he's talking about needles and camels. If he wasn't talking about needles and camels, he could have used a different figure of speech. He wants us to understand the impossibility of recognizing our need outside the work of God. And that's what he says. It's harder, it's hard for a person to recognize their need because there are so many barriers. There are so many things that get in our way so we don't recognize how much we need God. God alone is able to open our eyes. Look at what the disciples say to him. It bothers them. It bothers them. This is something really, really important to pay attention to when you're reading Scripture. When Jesus says something and it bothers people, if what he's saying doesn't bother you, you're reading it wrong. Because when he said it, he said it to bother people. Well, my Jesus doesn't bother people. Okay, we'll stick with the Bible, Jesus. Those who heard his disciple, well, who can be saved? So here's instantly the disciples understand what we miss in this passage. He, he's not merely talking about rich people. Because they didn't say, well, who among the rich people then can be saved? That's not what they said, is it? They said, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. This impossibility of recognizing our need is true of all of humankind because everybody, to some degree, is wealthy. You ask people, are you rich? Nearly everybody will say, no. Why? Because there's somebody they know that's richer. I don't know if that's right. More rich, wealthier, more rich, wealthier however you want to say it. So wherever we are, wherever we are, we see people up here, and we say, well, I'm not wealthy because I'm not there. Once you get there, wherever there is, you'll say, oh, I'm not wealthy because I'm not to the next guy yet. And so the disciples understand this, that this blinding to our need is true of, of all people, and Jesus helped us understand. Well, I know nobody can see their need, but God alone can open your eyes to the reality that you need God to provide for you new life and goodness. And you won't be able to purchase God with your money and you won't be able to purchase God with your good deeds. Jesus here is trying to draw us back again 
to depending on God. We need to trust God. We need to be dependent on God. He alone can open our eyes to our need, and he alone can draw us closer to Jesus. This trust never ends. So let's do a little theological exercise. Oh, that'll wake you up. Here we go. Think about it. When you got saved, did you have to trust Jesus to forgive you? Okay, it's yes. It's, um, there are no trick questions in the next five minutes. Yes, okay, yes, I had to trust him. Can you make yourself righteous? You know, no, no, you can't do it. i got to trust Jesus. Okay, so once you get saved, what's the goal? Become more like Jesus. You want to be more Jesus-y. I, I'm summarizing quite a bit of scripture in that. Sorry, right? I want to become more like Jesus. I feel like, you know, I, I, he saved me for good works. I, I should do good things. I should worship God by doing things that bring him glory. So, so if you trust Jesus to make you righteous, what, do you, what, what makes you live righteous? And this is where we get it wrong. Diana's got it, though. We keep trusting Jesus. See, some of us of Christians, or Christians think, well, I had to trust Jesus to become a Christian. But I'm a gold star Christian because I'm awesome. You're not. You're, you're just not. I mean, if you are a gold star Christian, it's because Jesus decided to work in you and through you, even with your bad attitude. See, it's trust when you're saved, it's trust while you're saved, and it's trust to get into glory. It's trust all day, every day, forever. It's always, I depend on Jesus again today. There is nothing you can do that can make you more like Jesus, but there's lots of things we do that communicate, I trust Jesus. And a lot of those things look like activities, like reading our Bible and praying and sharing our faith and serving others and dying to self and not doing naughty stuff. These are all things we do not to become righteous, but why? Because we trust Jesus. He's the one that does it. He's the one that takes our haltering and faltering steps of good works and puts them all together and turns them into a miracle and all of a sudden, a few years go by and we say, holy cow, God made me a little more like Jesus. I didn't even see it happening. It's always trust. So Jesus here is drawing his disciples back into dependency. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter points out the obvious. We have left our homes and followed you. Jesus is not, or Jesus, Peter is not bragging here. Peter is stating facts. Matthew chapter 4 Verses 18 through 22. Jesus, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Do we need to point out again that I don't know that anywhere in the Bible they caught a fish without Jesus' help? <laughs> Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. After consideration, and they had a committee and met with their parents, prayed about it, sought the Spirit. No, what's it say? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they saw their two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them immediately. They left their father and followed him. So when Peter... His brother Andrew, James, and his brother John followed Jesus. Here's how it went. Jesus walks up to him one day. They knew who he was. 
hey, you guys follow me. They left everything and said, we'll, we'll follow you. That's it. So when, when Peter comes to Jesus after Jesus has talked to this wealthy young ruler and says, Jesus, we, we have left everything, he's not bragging. He just says, these are facts. We were in a boat fishing one day, and the next day we're walking around. And Jesus says this. He wants to make sure Peter has the right perspective on what that looks like. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus shows to Peter what he wants him to understand is, look, you left some stuff, but you didn't leave anything of value and when you came with me, you gained the kingdom, which has eternal value. Maybe to put it this way, Peter, what did you leave? You left stuff that has no future to participate with stuff that has no end. You weren't sacrificial. You're a good investor. You took stuff that has absolutely no value and exchanged it for that which has eternal value. And that's just wise. That's just smart. That's what smart people do all the time, is to get rid of stuff that have lower value in order to gain that which is a greater value. Peter, you're not being sacrificial. You're just a good investor. And he makes it clear, listen, there is nobody who experiences the short-term loss of this life that at the end of time, they will look back and say, wait, wait, I experienced no loss whatsoever. Every person in the kingdom will experience that. One day we'll stand before the Lord and go, oh, never mind, I lost nothing. I lost nothing. Jesus is just saying to Peter, you are wise, thankfully by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants this rich young ruler and Peter and James and John and Andrew and you and I to understand this about our lives. Jesus will not be an accessory to your otherwise well-appointed life. What do we call that? Jesus will not be your arm candy. You know what that is? That's a guy who, when he's going out places, he wants the person accompanying him to be attractive. His life is already great. He doesn't care about the person who's accompanying him. He just wants his well-appointed life to be well-decorated with beautiful people. Jesus will not be your arm candy, where your well-appointed life is also accompanied by the king of kings. No thank you, he says. I am your life. I am your goodness. I might say it this way, to hopefully not put too strong a point on it. It is an insult to Jesus' kingdom when you see your kingdom as being more valuable and desirable than his. Your kingdom is great, especially when compared to others. Your kingdom is lame when compared to his. Am I being rude? I'll take that as a yes. How to miss Jesus. Think you're good enough already. Check your boxes. I'm good. If you think you're good, I would evaluate some of the conversations you have into the dark. Because if you're like most of us, we look into our past and into our heart and we say, I know I'm not good. And we miss Jesus when we think we are. We miss Jesus when we think we don't need anything from God. And that's what was wrong with this rich young ruler. Felt like he was good enough, and his life was already great. And Jesus 
was lost to him. And he walked away sad, and he walked away without hope. A couple of questions for you. What is your go-to I'm okay justification? Here's a couple of popular go-to I'm okay, I'm good justifications. I just want to get you thinking a little bit. I'm not as bad as my brother-in-law. I'm not as bad as my coworkers. I'm not as bad as, I don't know, whoever you might list. This is a go-to justification. I'm, I know I'm not great, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. This is the chased by a bear theology. You know this. I don't have to be the fastest. I just need to be faster than somebody because the bear eats the last guy. That doesn't get you to heaven. Being better than some people doesn't get you into eternal life. Maybe this is another go-to justification. I only did it once, and it was a long time ago. Here's a couple more I think people like. And by people, it's people who I'd never say this. I'm kidding. No one is getting hurt. And, And honestly, I know a whole bunch of other people, this seems like a normal thing people do. So I don't don't see the big deal. These are are go-to justifications for I'm good, I don't need Jesus' righteousness, but we need to understand God alone is righteous, and if you're using justifications like this, one day you too will stand before Jesus, and he will say, one thing you still lack. And the Bible says, unfortunately, we don't get a do-over like this rich young ruler could have had because he was still alive. The Bible says it is appointed for man once to die and then to face judgment. On that day, if the reply is, one thing you still lack instead of, well done, my good and faithful servant, you got a big problem. You're separated from God. You aren't okay without Jesus. The only way to be made righteous is to be honest with yourself and your heart and God and say, I need Jesus to make me righteous because I am a rebel. I have sinned against God alone. By God's grace, when we call out to Jesus for righteousness, he says, here you go. Trust me, and I will make you alive and righteous. Okay, second thing to think about, and I only have uh, tw- 10. So, you know, warning labels. We get war- Things come with warning labels. We make fun of it. The reason stuff has warning labels is because some attorney sued somebody. And uh, here's something that should have warning label, and that is blessings in our life should have warning labels. So I'm going to give you some warning labels for the blessings you get in your life, whether it be great relationships, great family, lots of money, a house to live in, a successful job, whatever things are that we sort of say, you know, this is a blessing from God, which is what we should say. Here are some of the warning labels for the blessings that God gives. Number one, you receive blessings because God is kind, not because you are awesome. We receive blessings from God because God is kind, not because we are awesome. Now, thankfully, God makes us all in lots of different ways with lots of different gifts and talents, but at the end of the day, if you think you have what you have because you are awesome, you've missed it. It's because God is a nice guy, and I am thankful he is so kind, but that's an important warning label. What God has granted to us, we, we must have a better perspective than the rich young ruler and say, you know what, God, thank you for what you have provided because it is from your hands that you have given it, and I am grateful for it. So we receive blessings from God because he is kind, not because we are good. Second thing about blessings. Good blessings can 
take our eyes off of the Lord. This is what's funny. God is so kind to bless us that if we're not careful in our wandering, those blessings will take our eyes off of the one who blessed us. And so that's a warning label. Let's just be careful. If God pours out his blessing on you, let's uh, pursue right responses. Here's some responses to blessing we can think about. Number one, thankfulness to God. Gratefulness should mark the blessings God has given us. Humility should mark us as we experience God's blessing. God did it, not me. God is the one who worked things out. Generosity should be a response to blessing. God has given me more than I need, so therefore I have plenty to share. Wisdom should mark our response to blessing. This is the one you won't like. If this blessing is getting me in the way of me understanding my need of Jesus, I should get rid of it. If this blessing from God is getting in the way of me seeing how much I need Jesus, I should get rid of it. Finally this, that day is coming when we all get to see Jesus and we see that his kingdom will far exceed the losses that we experience here. And one of the things we can do is look at Peter and James and John and Andrew and assess our own heart. If Jesus walked up to us and said, follow me, would we be all in? Thankfully for us, it doesn't mean we have to abandon our life to be all in for Jesus. What we can do is we can look at the places God has put us in our life today and ask ourselves the question, what does it look like in my family? What does it look like at school? What does it look like at the place where I work? What does that look like in my neighborhood or in my church? What does it look like in the relationships I have for this particular sphere of influence? to be influenced by me being all in for the kingdom of God. So what's great is we don't have to leave our nets. What Jesus is doing now is saying, since you're in your fishing boat, what does it look like to be a fisherman that's all in for Jesus? And we don't want to miss Jesus in the context of the places he's put us. And that's something for us to think about in our life. Are we all in? And can we alter by God's grace through the power of his spirit how we interact in those spaces, in our homes, in our work, in our school, knowing that Jesus' kingdom is better than ours. How to miss Jesus. I pray that we don't do this. Think that we're good enough already and think we don't need anything else from God. God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us in sending your son, Jesus. Fully God, fully man, who is on mission to redeem sinners who would trust him. Father, I would pray in this moment as we think about the reality that we need Jesus to make us righteous, I would pray that your spirit would reveal to our hearts how much we need you. And there are some here this morning, God, who right now need your righteousness. They came in here this morning thinking they were good enough, and in this moment they know they need your goodness. And I would pray even now in the quietness of this moment that they would reach out to you in prayer and say, Jesus, I trust you for my goodness. I recognize I'm not good enough. And Jesus, we know you hear those prayers. And all who trust you receive new life and your righteousness.
God, I would also pray for us today who have known you or know you now. It is so easy in this life with all of its busyness and blessings and privileges, especially of living in this great country, that we get to the place where we think we don't need you. We've got everything covered. God, we would pray you would remind us anew how much we need Jesus today. And God, there might be a place in our life right now, there might be activities, there might be things on the side which we know full well are distracting us from our need of you. We pray, God, you would give us the power of your spirit to know if it's time to say goodbye to those things. We pray, God, that you would give us a heart that so values the kingdom of God that we would say in all the places you have put us, we're all in for the kingdom. God, I would pray, especially for those of us who are sitting in here this morning, that that day where we stand before you, we will hear, well done, my servant. And none of us will hear, there is still one thing you lack. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we close with a song?